0: Woo-hoo! Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be here with you today, which is episode 25.
1: Wow, we're moving up.
0: Yeah, quarter century. It's I'm square, pretty sure. We
1: can square root this one. That's, oh That's always a good thing.
0: That's like a level beyond the mathematics I am comfortable with. So you're already making me feel uncomfortable. Also
1: our Mia Hamm episode plus 16, Kendall Hilton episode plus 23.
0: I like to say it's our Barry Bonds episode. So my favorite thing about Barry Bonds, I was a huge baseball fan when he was like a superstar wearing number 25. Um, and you know, one year, like in 2001, so the, or the story is that he saw Barry or Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa hit all these home runs and he was like, man, I'm a better player than them. So he started taking every drug known to man and horse, the main one being human growth hormone. And all of a sudden his head came back three sizes bigger one year and he broke baseball and, and had the best stats of all time. So, uh, you know, let's pour one out for Barry Bonds and his his disgraced extra-large head. I
1: wonder what the equipment manager was thinking when, like, all of a sudden his hat just became, like, triple oh the God. size. It must have been it was quite a strange The photos today. are
0: shocking. Um, and, yeah, I love that Megan chose Kendall Hilton plus 23s, which he's, he's number two, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know if he's always been number two, but he played number two on Saturday, given that he was in the quarterback role. So Kendall Hilton, so the story goes like this. So the Broncos needed a quarterback this weekend because all of their quarterbacks were exposed to COVID. And so we're all deemed ineligible. And so they went through this like long decision tree process of trying to figure out who the heck to yeah. put in that position, including they tried to like put their assistant coach in there and the yeah. NFL deemed that inappropriate. D- these
0: assistant coaches hadn't played since college in 2010. That's how desperate they were. And so instead they went to Kendall Hill, this backup receiver.
1: And uh, he did not play great to say the least. No. So he went one for 13 for nine yards. And I think for me, it was just like such a fascinating like reflection on the the fact that like people's jobs are pretty darn hard yeah like I think I was joking I was like oh David you should go in and play and like Kendall Hilton was a great I mean he won a state championship in high school like, as a quarterback. As quarterback yeah so he was like a pretty and good then quarterback. He played quarterback
0: at Wake Forest for three years And he's
1: been in the NFL like in the football in the football league and it just goes to show that like when you're looking at like evaluating someone else's job or evaluating your own job like there are so many things that we do each day that like you don't even factor into the like complexity of what you're doing oh, and I feel like I so had true. that realization with the quarterback yeah
0: I think about that with like writing all the time when you know you think about I don't know, some some famous writer. And I'm out here writing and like 10 years ago, and I'm like, I am the Kendall Hilton to that famous writer. And you just have to grind and hope it ends up somewhere really great. But you know, as as you saw, I was really excited to see him. I was like, this will be really fun. And then I saw him actually perform. And I was like, actually, this is kind of pathetic and not so fun to watch.
1: Yeah, we turned it off and went hiking. And And he's
0: one of the best athletes in the world. And it, you know, I actually for me it was like a moment of self-compassion that it's like your goal is not to compare to the greatest person in the world. For some people it is, and that's great. But like, for me, that is not a healthy comparison. It's not a healthy comparison with podcasts, with writing, with running, or any of that stuff. Like, I just want to do me and do me well.
1: Especially at the top level. Like, I think for me, it reinforced the fact that like that 0.00001%, like what it takes to be an NFL quarterback is so extreme. Like, you could go in and be a great quarterback in like a family football game. Like, you would yeah. be a star.
0: I would freaking rock my little cousins.
1: But like, the difference between that and the 0.000000, however many zeros I just put in the last estimate 1% is massive and I think to me like it was just like a, a really interesting reply. yeah and
0: when you get to the point zero 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 one you're also getting to the Barry Bonds people that do things to make their heads three that's times true yeah, the or, concerning or things or cheat in other ways like if you're talking about investment banking and they're like you know breaking the SEC rules or whatever it is like at the top level everyone is trying to get that edge and as a result like there's all these incentive structures that lead to people like tearing each other down including in football and it's like okay well I just need to do me focus on the process and wherever that leads is great and may, who knows maybe Kendall Hill if he had more of a chance over many weeks would be a great quarterback, but he's done. He's never going to play again as quarterback. That's for sure. He's back to receiver. I'm senior. sure he doesn't want to. Oh yeah. yeah I, he's
1: probably like been there, done that. Yeah.
0: He was, I, I saw an interview with him where he's like, you know, this wasn't exactly like I dreamed it would be. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't what I imagined that night. Um, I think it also emphasizes the importance of like being really careful around COVID because the quarterbacks had to isolate because they were in a meeting room altogether not wearing masks and they had turned their league mandated trackers off and the coach was pissed. Well,
1: I was going to say, I think like in this age right now, like how, like your team strategy working with COVID or, you know, working to keep yeah. players from getting COVID is half the battle of training right now for these teams. And it's interesting to see how like teams go about doing that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Fuck the NFL though. The NFL, the Broncos are like, can we reschedule this game? And the NFL is like, nope, we're just going to make an example out of you. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the parent that makes the kids eat, all the things that are on their plate, no matter what it is, no matter how much they put on their plate. It's just like, or smoke this smoke, you smoked one cigarette, smoke this whole pack of cigarettes. Well,
1: talk about mental health struggles though, because now it's putting this onus on the players to be COVID free all the time. Because otherwise, like, you know, you think about like, what if like one of those players, their son comes home and has COVID? Like that is impacting the fate of like the entire Broncos team potentially. And it's like, think about like the mental health struggles behind that. It has to be so hard.
0: I can't imagine what sports are like right now. Uh, Yeah. And so what we've been doing is having a lot of fun, just trying to embrace... Our full athletic selves. Um, we've been doing a lot of Zwift, as we mentioned. So stationary biking in addition to running and also hiking. Um, so if you remember last week we were talking about the menstrual cycle, and Megan briefly mentioned that she had a rough go on the big mountain in the A rough this, go
1: might be kind of kind. Yeah, yeah.
0: So she uh I will say I got a lot a text of a lot of curse words. Um, and then she went back to it last Friday and um, I was out running and just checking my phone every few few minutes when I knew she'd be almost done and I just get this text where it's just like boss. And I'm so, you know, went really well. Love you unconditionally, all this stuff. And it was like one of those cool moments where you went right back into the fire.
1: Yeah. It was like literally walking back into that fire. I mean, there's like 21 switchbacks on the, on yeah. the Alp Swift route. And I was like, each one, as I was taking it off, I was like, yes, getting yeah. through this. This okay, is going to happen. Farther.
0: Yeah. And I think what's really cool too, is you know, that you're going to have bad days on that mountain and others in the future. And it's like, part of being an athlete is accepting that the bad days are an essential part of the process That's true.
1: there's something we think about biking though is is that like the setup is whipped is that like the watts are displayed prominently yeah. in the left-hand corner of the screen I'm very aware of that fact and you have just like this continuous feedback of your bad days and I think for me it's been helpful as a runner because like when I'm running I don't have that continuous yeah. feedback it's been like it's been a helpful process to work through of understanding that like bad days just happen sometimes for reasons that are totally unexplained and we very
0: yeah. intentionally in coaching in our own athletics have taken that away from runners as an option. And as we'll discuss in one of the the topics today, and the whole idea is like, try to limit those means of self-evaluation because there's a lot and a lot and a lot of noise there and not so much signal. Um, And so the signals manifest themselves over many months and years.
1: And you can go crazy trying to interpret the signals. And I think like, I've been there before where it's like, you're trying to interpret every little thing as as to what this means. I'm like, sometimes it's just not worth it.
0: The perils of being a data scientist.
1: Exactly, yeah. Um, I kind of find that fun sometimes.
0: Yeah, but you've also been absolutely rocking hiking. So my hardest workout last week was Sunday afternoon. When we went hiking, Megan has been focusing on her strength, on her uh, mountain legs routine, the the SWAT mountain legs routine, all this other stuff. And um, we went hiking and she like my heart rate got so high trying to keep up with you on a steep mountain
1: oh thanks well it's funny because I've never to be honest with you I've never really loved hiking like I enjoy hiking as like a means to just like wander outside and explore but like hiking as a means of a workout I'm like this is stupid can't we just run this yeah and I've come around to it like it's interesting like we've been hiking pretty steep terrain and the feel like the burn of my quads that I get from hiking is very similar to the feeling that I get when I do a number of step ups in the mountain legs routine and it makes me grateful for the step ups but also just goes to show the power of like hiking this great strength routine if you're doing it well
0: i was i was like regretting all that strength work you've been doing because as you were as you were hiking away from me i was like i hate to watch her go but i love to watch her leave
1: well it's been nice for us too during the winter because like we'll start out and it'll be like sunset as we're heading up the mountain and then we'll turn our headlamps and it'll be dark on the way back and it's just like getting out in these winter months for us has been key because yeah. like, I feel like otherwise we'd be pretty cooped up.
0: Yeah. It's such a great time to embrace like full athletic life. Um, And we're going back to California next week. We we said we were going back this week. Plans changed a little bit due to some more logistics, but I think one, the big thing we want everyone to know is if you feel like you were juggling a lot of balls it's okay that if you also drop some. Like, we have a couple. You're is,
1: setting this up perfectly. So, what yeah. David is trying to say is that Megan has dropped a crap ton of balls.
0: <laughs> You're not always good at holding the balls. Um, I am not. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you know, we have a couple things that are really important to us. I'm going to stop saying balls so many times, but we have a couple things that are really important to us coaching, writing, that, that sort of thing, and being there for athletes. Um, and then a couple things that we are not so great at, perhaps like, accounting and things like that. Um, and it, it can sometimes lead to to negative spice. Accounting
1: is a great euphemism for parking tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason I think my car got towed is because of the number of parking tickets I have on it. And so I'm currently sorting that out at the moment. Uh, but I think it, it was funny for me because a number of these parking tickets I'd accumulated on Thursday morning meetings in Palo Alto, where they were street sweeping. So like once every four weeks, they would like have to clear the streets for, for street sweeping and so my car would get tickets as a result of this and i'm like why is palo alto cleaning streets via like a traditional street sweeping method yeah like there's no
0: there's no tree there's nothing like there's no leaves falling in well you should have
1: like some sort of like machine learning algorithm yeah. for this or like some like smart car or like something that can like doesn't make it so that all of the streets have to be cleared on, at this like one thursday a month
0: i do remember there being like a dozen or two dozen just parking slips on our table and i remember thinking yeah, that's okay. That'll that'll solve itself. It's kind of like when you put dirty clothes on the floor, and like that'll just be clean in a week without me doing anything to them. And I learned that both are probably not wise. Well,
1: what happened was I accumulated a bunch of them right before COVID, and then yeah. we left thinking that we'd be coming back to California, but we never really went back to California. So they're just like sitting there accumulating dust on our kitchen table, and just
0: as our car is now doing an impoundment lot.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, it's <laughs> been exciting. Um,
0: but yeah, and uh, you know, with COVID and everything like that, now is a great time so to support small business is bookstores. We're going to talk about some gifts later. We've been reading a lot. Um, we've heard that uh, Obama's book and Matthew McConaughey's book are both amazing. And so we have those on our list right now. been watching a lot of movies and things like that. Um, and yeah, like w- one that we loved that is kind of random that you pro- might not have seen because not too many people we know have is Molly's Game.
1: A Sorkin movie. Yeah, we love Sorkin movies. I yeah. feel like there's a traditional structure to Sorkin movies, but for Molly's Game, it plays out. Particularly yeah, yeah. Well.
0: So all Sorkin movies are like 1.5 speed podcasts and like once you see the patterns in them they might not be as good but I haven't seen them yet so it's definitely good for me um we also saw Hunt for the Wilder People which is I don't want to miss it right
1: Is his last Ta- name Ta-
0: Taiko Waititi yeah he's from New Zealand um, an amazing filmmaker but it's also really interesting because this movie is a lot less polished than like um, Jojo Rabbit, his more recent. Well, movie. Jojo Rabbit
1: Rabbit was I think it was more the complexity of yeah. it. So, like it was I think it was a very polished movie, but it was like Jojo Rabbit is one of the more complex movies that I have seen a filmmaker pull off like ever. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting to see like this precede like the hunt for the water People which is more a little bit more like it's just like a sweet, like yeah. more like basic movie, precede this like incredible complexity. Yeah, and that's a
0: great one to watch if you're just looking for something to relax and enjoy and, and, and get uplifted. Um, and then uh our, our other big recommendation is Hannah Gads New Netflix special called Douglas. Uh, it's following up on her world-changing Nanette. If you've never seen that one, too, um, and it, a lot of what it's a lot about is her journey with autism and her autism diagnosis. Though that is kind of something that comes in at the end. And for me, it was so revelatory to to learn from her and see how her brain works so differently than you know that it her source of her powers might be this thing. That wouldn't be considered neurotypical, you know, and, and so I'm learning a lot about that and trying to learn more because we coach a lot of athletes that are, are autistic or, or other things and um, that these things are not disabilities necessarily it's, it's something that is can be a power in, in certain contexts, and her the way she presented that was really powerful.
1: She presented it by saying that it made her feel like isolated and lonely as yeah. a kid. So she actually showed some great art history examples representing that, which yeah. was, it was quite entertaining. But like, I think for me, I look at that and like the things that made her feel lonely, the things that made her feel isolated, actually make her think like outside the box. Yeah, and I think she even like uses yeah, she, she uses like takes, as an she example. takes that yeah she takes that as a full example. And like to me, I'm just like so it's such a beautiful process of thinking, and it's it, it's interesting to her how it's caused. So much struggle, but like she's taken this thing that's caused struggle and like turned it into this comedy career.
0: Yeah, and whatever I, you know, it, maybe it's cliche to paint it in the picture of you know me, but or whatever. But whatever makes you feel like you're out of place often is the thing that makes you into who you are, into this thing that can grow. Like, actually, I was listening to a podcast with her called, on You Made It Weird. And what she said is that, you know you're being who you are when something doesn't just exhaust you from existing. And th- that really resonated with me because there are things in life that do exhaust me. And I, you know, I was always like, I should enjoy these things, but I don't. And I'm like, well, but Hannah, like got. Gets- when- like for me, it's more, you know, social type things, you know, like, I mean, I always felt that way, like going to parties in high school or something, you know, we also watched the movie eighth grade. So like, I felt a little bit like that little girl, even though I obviously wasn't, I think every kid feels a little bit like that. And for me, understanding that that's okay. That's just me finding who I am, not just because of brain chemistry, but also just, you know, everything that goes into making me, me, you know? Awesome, do you want to do a little gift guide? Let's for do it, let's dive into it. Gift guides, if you know any runners in your eyes. We're gonna go through this pretty quick. First is the Theragun. Uh, article just came out on the science, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, it's a convenient excuse to buy your significant other a extra large vibrator. I was going
1: to say, I would just label what it is ahead of time. Yeah. like on the package, right, Theragun, because they're going to see it and think, what is this?
0: <laughs> <Thera-thon>. <laughs> um, The next are nose strips. So Breathe Right nose strips. This one's super cheap, but I think almost any runner won't be hurt by this and can help. I actually wear them now for all, uh, all my... Running, I don't, I don't just nose breathe like I'm breathing through every orifice possible, but it is helpful.
1: I have a pediatric size nose and I find it helpful as well. But I was going to say, I think they need to make this a little bit more adhesive. So I struggle. I like sweat profusely when I work out yeah. and I find the the breather strips start to unpeel or start to peel off my nose a little bit towards the end of workouts. And I would love if they could devise a more adhesive option for I'd be athletes. curious
0: what the Tour de France riders wear because theirs don't come off and their like careers depend on it and like half the field is wearing it. We should probably look into what they're wearing. I'm sure it's some sort of clinical version. Um, um, the next is protein powder. Our recent one, we we had mentioned Vega in a past episode. We've recently been into Momentous, which was sent to us by Mary Johnson, an amazing athlete on our team. Um, and it's really tasty. The it's chocolate really version, tasty, yeah. the chocolate version is awesome. It's plant based. It's great. We are big fans of protein powder. Something you can get anyone.
1: You re- so yesterday you gave me a taste of hot chocolate based protein powder. I'm gonna yeah. say, like, I'm not digging the hot protein powder. I am, as we've talked about before on this podcast, <laughs> like, I'm very flexible with food. The hot protein really does get me. Though. That was
0: given to us by another that that particular brand which was a different brand was given to us by another athlete on the team and i have to say it tastes a little bit like celery stalks were ground up and mixed with a little bit of like body odor
1: that's not how you advertised it to me at the time you're like try this delicious hot drink
0: (laughs) well i thought you might like it um the next is a lot bigger gift this is a direct drive bike trainer. Oh, snap. That's going to be
1: like my Christmas birthday, Christmas birthday, like gift for 20 years to come. Yeah. So like if
0: someone in your life really wants to do some indoor bike training, these, these direct drive trainers are usually around a thousand dollars, but they last forever and they are life changing for enjoying indoor riding. So I actually think it's way better than a Peloton for people that have a bike already. You can hook it up to that. You can keep the fit. You can feel a lot like you're riding outdoors. I really like it.
1: If you don't have a bike already, we've been sending athletes to the pros closet because they're, I mean, they still use bikes and, it's like a very easy process. You know exactly what you're getting online. Um, and then you can hook it up to your direct tribe trainer. That would be like <laughs> a very expensive expensive present doing the combo pack. But
0: you know, investing in your in your athletics and your physical nature for long term, like A thousand dollars feels like a ton, but if you're thinking you're going to have this for five years, that's less than a dollar a day. That's true. I sound like one of those commercials that used to be on. Yeah,
1: yes, I know. We are not sponsored by any of these things. Yeah, yeah. These are just like entertaining things that we have found bring value to our own lives.
0: Uh, The next is good socks. So going the other direction, we like Moxie and Grit socks from Sonia Looney, who's an amazing person and podcaster. But my favorite is. Uh, Megan actually, or I'm not sure if Megan or Sonia got them, but the fucking magical unicorn socks. I wear those all the time and have had more amazing runs and bikes in them than ever before.
1: My favorite ones are the two epic shit socks. Those are definitely my favorite. But what I'm grateful for Sonia Looney is the fact that your socks before Sonia introduced us to these socks never matched. Yeah. And now they match. And it's like it's a very strange thing running behind you and seeing matching socks. <laughs> and when I say they didn't match before they didn't match in height either. Yeah. So you'd have like one like, knee high sock and then one short sock. It was It was always
0: interesting. Well, I actually saw the other day, I was walking around our neighborhood and saw just like a white sock sitting out and I was like, eh, I could use that sock. Maybe I should grab it. But then I was like, no, I have so many socks at home. So I don't need to use my old patterns. Um, the next recommendation we actually are sponsored by, so we should probably say that, but is spring energy. Um, we are actually releasing a special flavor with them called awesome sauce very soon.
1: Can we say that? Yeah,
0: we can say that. We're just teasing it. Anyone who listens to this podcast is chill. You're not going to tell them.
1: Okay, we'll keep that on the deal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a amazing gel that's 180 calories with sodium and all carbs uh, made to take every half hour during heart activity. Um, and the very last one on the same topic is a DoorDash gift card because all I want for Christmas is
1: food. Did I nail that? You kind of nailed okay, that. Okay, awesome.
0: Let's get to topic one, which is off seasons. Megan, do you want to read the question?
1: Sure. This question's from A. After listening to the Trials of Mile podcast, I was interested to know how often you recommend athletes should take longer stretches of rest after periods of focus training. I know longer periods of rest can help with adaptation and deep healing and recovery of muscles, but I'm not sure exactly how this would look. I stick to the one day a week off fairly well, but I am not good at taking more than one day off ever. How often do you suggest endurance athletes take longer stretches of time off of running, i.e. every four months, once a year, and how long are these stretches?
0: And this is from A. That's such an amazing question. And I think the first principle is that it is okay to take time off. Um, There are bunches of studies out there that measure VO2 max after periods of time off. Jack Daniels put these all together in Daniels running formula, but a lot of have come since then. Basically, VO2 max doesn't even start to decrease until 7 to 10 days off. And with longer periods of time, it doesn't actually go down more than a few percent. A lot of what we perceive when we take time off and then feel like a, a wounded cow on the return is a blood volume reduction, which can happen in just a few days. But the cool thing about about blood volume reduction is that it also goes up just as quickly. So that feeling you have of being underwater at first, um, the journal of applied physiology studies showed that it takes about three to five days for it to go down 10 or 15%, but also three or five days for it to go up 15 or 20%. So, you know, those there's, Uh, some levers that are moving very fast. And you don't need to worry so much about those levers as you're deciding about how much time you're taking off.
1: I think the other thing is that some of those levers can be combated by the fact of like adding in aerobic cross training. Yeah, exactly. So I think like, it depends on what you're taking time off for. It depends on like, you know, your, your past training history, but I've seen some athletes who benefit from taking like four to five days, totally off of running, totally off of exercise, but then like working in light cross training activity. Like I know I need that. Like if I take a full complete rest period, my body just kind of hibernates and goes to zero and I don't do any, Thing in life, um, which is totally fine. But like after four or five days of that, I'm kind of like, I need to like be productive writing a paper or like doing a podcast or whatever it may oh, be. Oh, and this
0: gets to some of the hard parts of training theory and training philosophy is that a lot of what we're seeing is interpolated from outliers. So Bernard Lagat famously took six weeks totally off running every single year. And everyone's like, oh, well, this is why he excels at age 42 or whatever. And I'm like, well, if I took six weeks off, I am not Bernard Lagat. I have done that a couple of times and have totally spent months trying to get back anywhere near where I was. Um, and so everyone's different. Megan, meanwhile, has excelled off of short periods of time off in the past when she has had to take up.
1: The one thing though that I see for myself after taking short periods of time off is that sometimes it's a little harder for me to musculoskeletally return. So like my body is not used to the demands of running. And I've seen that I've been at higher injury risk upon the return to running, even if it's done at like, you know, a pretty careful thing. And so like, for me, I know personally that like, I can't take these sweeping off seasons off because it's pretty hard for my body to come back musculoskeletal.
0: Yeah. So deconditioning, for its own sake, it doesn't really have that much of a physiological purpose. There might be some underlying things with like epigenetics that turning off the whole system and then turning it back on could be helpful. Maybe neuromuscular system uh, gets reset capillary and mitochondrial density and things like that could have some longer term alterations, but Unless you're in an endocrine or, you know, hormonal or neuromuscular hole, there's not a really big physiological reason to take these huge breaks. And so what we try to emphasize with athletes is like, one, we love that this questioner takes a rest day every week. That's a built in seven and a half weeks of rest throughout the year. Um, and two, be really, really freely insert those four, three days off that Megan talked about. Like anytime you feel a niggle, take time off or, or cross train or whatever, like spread that throughout the year, because we want you feeling good to actually be able to adapt to the training you're doing.
1: And those, those uh, short rest days or those short periods of time off are great for the longevity as yeah. we talked about. And like, I feel like for some athletes, like even though you may go into one of those like three day off periods and be like, oh my gosh, I have to take this time off from running. You, it's yeah. actually great longevity. It's actually great about thinking like consolidating those aerobic gains, consolidating the training gains. Um, and it really does pay off in the long term. I love
0: that. And so as you're considering your off season approach right now, the first thing I'd say is, okay, take a step back. Am I burnt out? Is there any long-term damage I need to heal? Did I just do a long ultra? Like if any of those are satisfied, it's a good time to take time fully off, you know, um, a week or two is ideal. You don't need to take six weeks off necessarily, Um, pay attention to that as you go. But otherwise, what we really like athletes to think of as off season is not an off season of like off time, off season of changed focus. Um, so that can be, you know, an emphasis on cross training or ideally an emphasis on building speed. If you've really been building a lot of volume or on building your base, if you've been doing a lot of speed, um, it's, it's pivoting your body so that you can get adaptations and move in a direction that will lift you up in the future rather than off, like an off switch is not something that most athletes outside of Bernard Lagat will, will thrive off of. It'll actually be something that maybe they're spending a lot of time playing catch up with in coming years.
1: I think other points where I've seen athletes have strong pivots on during any- off season is strength training so like yeah. really using that time to build the foundation um to support like strong biomechanics when you do come back and the other thing is, is learning a new skill so yeah. like I've seen athletes who are like I'm gonna use this time to dedicate to my mountain bike skills and that is fun also like mountain bike skills are pretty translatable to downhill trail running like if you can bike down a like technical downhill mountain bike trail like <laughs> running down should be at least in my my opinion I know it varies by person should yeah. be a little easier I love that and
0: COVID's, for at least me, for me at least it's been a very long off season in terms of like I really haven't had races even in my thought process for a while and based on Megan's suggestion as coach I've really incorporated cross training as something that okay this will be something that I learn I still love running and I still run a lot just not quite those 100 mile weeks I used to um and for me it's been incredible um and you know uh, another example would be Hayden Hawks so in his build for JFK50 he started incorporating a lot more cross training and you know at JFK50 he set this unbelievable course record. One of the best performances I've ever been uh, privy to witness. And um, the point isn't that you need to cross train. The point is that off season is a great time to start. Okay. I have all these levers that I can play with this one lever. I've been working all year, which sounds playing with your, be careful when you play with your lever, you don't want to get chafed, um, but like start turning some of the other levers, see what happens with that, um, figure this time is a time to develop, not a time that is like an empty space.
1: And final point on that is let it be guided by fun. Like for yeah. me, I know like swimming is like the antithesis of fun. Yeah. For me. Like it's awful. I feel like I'm a drowned rat every time I swim. And so it's like, I'm not going to do that during the off season, but like cycling, mountain biking, like all those things are fun. And so like, that's something that I embrace.
0: You're the sexiest drowned rat that has ever lived. <laughs> do you want to get to topic two?
1: Sure. Let's dive into topic two. This is on metrics and from A. A different A. I recently upgraded from a very basic Garmin to a far more sophisticated Koros. Love the data most of the time. I heard you two say that risk-based heart rates are wildly inaccurate. That said, what completely burns me out is when my app deems my workout inefficient, either aerobically or anaerobically. I'm also a little too aware of its calculation of my fitness level and VO2 max. Other than pace and elevation, which other variables are truly useful to incorporate into overall fitness evaluation. Any advice about how the fancy watch features can be best utilized and interpreted as a gauge of running fitness would be so greatly appreciated.
0: I love this. And the big thing that we wanna say is your watch does not know shit about your long-term I was fitness. gonna say watches
1: are judgmental pieces of shit. Like if you think about it, it's like their algorithms are essentially using just like machine-based learning. And that is so dependent upon the input that you're putting into it, which yeah. often is skewed. Um, you know, as this, as A mentions, like wrist-based heart, wrist-based heart rate often isn't accurate. And many times like watches are incorporating that data into their evaluation. The other thing too, is it's like these machine-based learning metrics that they use to tell you that your fitness is de- decreasing or increasing or whatever it may be is also based off of population level metrics. Like it's not specific to your training at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it gets back to the signal and noise thing. Like if you're looking at your watch to make those judgments, it's gonna be totally just a shot in the dark. It might be right, it might not be. It's a broken clock is right two times a day type thing. What matters way more is if you feel good, if you're putting in the right inputs into your body in general, and if you combine those two, you will find your path to like whatever your potential is. Um, the hard part is watches can actively get in the way of that if you put too much stock in what they're telling you. Um, risk based heart rate being the most obvious one because um, a number of studies, uh, most recently a 2019 study in the Journal of Sports Science, found between a 2.3 percent and 13.5 percent error rate.
1: That's big. Yeah, that's when really you're talking big. about
0: heartbeats, that's massive. That's basically uh, you know not relevant. Though a lot of these watches use 10 percent equivalency rates to measure their accuracy. So in that case, you could be measuring something totally, you could be measuring cadence and say, oh, this is accurate because it's within 10% of what the actual heart rate is. Um, So if you're going to be using risk-based heart rate at all, make sure that you calibrate it with a hard workout and make sure it has the peaks and valleys you'd expect. Um, Most of the time, I've almost never seen that, honestly, with runners. You sometimes see it with cycling, but not with runners.
1: And sometimes you can see it like on very small specs of the workout, but just because it, again, like as you said, like just because it works for small specs of the workout doesn't mean that it applies globally.
0: Yeah, um, and then same goes for running power, uh 2019 study in the journal of strength and research, strength and conditioning research, um, concluded in general that the running show, a sig- or these power meters show an significant uh relationship between running power and metabolic demand but it's not relevant to training perhaps because it's pretty weak um so if you're using this you don't want a weak metric to be what you determine your training and output based on
1: we've also seen that running based power meters are pretty bad on trails so uphills not great downhills not great technical trail i mean if you look at the
0: algorithm of how they do uphills it ends up being well a best fit curve of like assumptions and that's just not not relevant so if you have fun with it great but don't plan your training based on it Um, So what do we care about? The first big thing is perceived exertion, how something feels. That's just a fancy way of saying like, hey, how do you feel today? Um, And, you know, with our athletes, I'll be like, you know, I don't necessarily care what the numbers say at all. I just care about how this run makes you feel.
1: And some athletes, I I have had many athletes come to me and be like, this is an overwhelming concept. Yeah. I just want numbers. Like, tell me what to do. And I think like I have pushed back against that and be like, no, 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 we need to develop this this concept where we talk about perceived exertion within the context of numbers. And I find athletes often enjoy it over the long term. Like it can oh. be a challenge at first. Like, you know, not having that specific set metric can yeah. be challenging. And
0: that's how you race and running. I mean, if we're talking about cycling, it's a little different because you start, you look at the Bradley Wiggins or something winning the Tour de France, just staring at his power meter. You'll never see that. Running and running, it's all based on feel. It's all based on go. Maybe track or, or road marathon slightly different. We coach those at events differently, um, where pace does start to matter a little bit more. But mainly, it's how you feel. Um, but within the context of that, calibrated easy efforts do matter. Um, basically, what we want to say with that is that there is no necessarily hard cap you need to stick at, um, but you do need to make sure you're not tempoing every one of your easy runs. Like if every one of what you think is easy is a harder effort, eventually you're just going to burn out and get slower. Um, but you know, that doesn't mean you can't run steady. Sometimes it doesn't mean you can't run freely. It just means that you need some clue of what you're doing to yourself.
1: And I like that. I like the idea about like, you know, not being beholden to it. Like yeah. sometimes like if you feel good, like easy can be a little faster and that's okay. As long as it's not like this everyday thing. And I feel like with athletes, like it's important to develop that intuitive feel. Yeah. Right especially now. as
0: you get super fit, like it's fine to end a little faster if it feels good. Um, the next is cadence. Cadence, only matters at the extremes. So if an athlete is below 150 or 160, that's a time where we're like, hey, you might want to run a little bit shorter, softer strides.
1: The other times that I've seen is athletes above 200 or 210 and
0: it's like <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine what that looks like. It's so
1: fast, but it's like you're not maximizing power from each stride at that point and so it's beneficial to reduce it a little bit. But again, this is like very individual and some yeah. things work for some people. Yeah.
0: And then I pace and grade adjusted pace um where I really like looking at pace and grade adjusted pace is to make sure athletes aren't going too fast. At least with you know with me for example or other pros that that I've seen, if they go too fast all the time it's a it's a quick uh quick hit to regression and so you know the goal isn't to go as fast as you can on your interval workouts is to do a controlled effort so you that you can look at that to be like okay i don't want to kill myself on these
1: i was gonna say where i look at great the pace the most is for athletes strides and my own strides just making sure they're not too fast
0: and then it all feeds back into the big principle which is training adaptation happens when you feel good so does the watch help you feel good if it does, great. You can look at any number that helps you feel Actually,
1: good. Actually, I would like to add an asterisk to that. Sometimes training does not feel good. Yeah. Like, and like that is important too. It's just like you will go to the well some days, but like, it's important that you're not going to the well every day.
0: Yeah, and the, the what, what the role the watch plays in that is to give you some general b- barriers on each side. Make sure you're not killing yourself. Make sure you're not doing too little. But in between, a lot of good stuff can happen. It's just about going for it.
1: woo we love you guys. Bye, everyone.